Well, today is an exciting day, not just because it's Pentecost Sunday, which was not only the fulfillment of God's promise to to send the Holy Spirit, and I'll talk about that a little bit, but it was also the birth of the church. It was it was one of the greatest moments, aside from Christ dying and raising to life. This was the next moment that was was prophesied. You know, all the way back in, in Joel, this guy way lived long, 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 long time ago, said that there would be a time where God would pour out His Spirit on everyone equally, men and women, that they would hear God speaking to them and they would speak His words that they would have dreams and visions, that God would be with us, that he would be among us, and that we would hear him, and that we'd be working in partnership with him. That the curse that happened when we read Genesis, that account of, of Adam and Eve in that garden, it's a picture of humanity full and whole, working in unity with each other and with God. And then through our own rebellion and our own desire of thinking what should be, we broke that and we stepped away from that. And even though we stepped away and we wandered away from God for what we wanted, he said, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. I will fix this, even if it takes me paying the penalty for your actions. And that's what he did. And so we see Christ dying on the cross and raising again. He's, he's taking all of that death and all that chaos and all of that, that shame that was upon humanity, upon himself in the ugliness of the cross And saying, I'm taking it from you. You no longer have it. I have taken it upon myself. And then he left it in the grave. He left it in the grave. And rose to new life. And he said, this life that I have raised into, it's your life. I'm giving it to you if you will receive it. If you will have me. If you will allow me not to spare you from death. But if you'll allow me to bring you through death. Death to self, death to shame, death to sin. Allow me to bring you through it. I will bring you into new life. And again, he said, I will not leave you. Even though he was going to ascend, he said, I will not leave you. I will be with you in spirit. My spirit, my presence will be with you. The very presence of God that, that, that birthed, that spoke, that exploded this universe into existence is the very presence of God that, that dwells within us. That same presence and power that raised Christ from the dead, that is the same power, that is the same presence of God that was given to the church, that has been offered to us to not only raise us to life mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, but to take that life with us and as we step, as we go through life, to take it with us and to operate and to speak forth that that power and that word and that truth that God has given us so that other people might be set free and other people might be brought into unity once again with God. How many of you are excited and thankful for that? So that is what we are celebrating this morning. That is part of the step, and we'll talk about that, baptism this morning. And so if you're listening online and you're not here with us this morning, I'm sorry. You're missing out. I pray you're someplace this morning where you can worship with others and you can experience that 
um, experience God's presence as well. But we just invite you to celebrate with us what God is doing. When I started to prepare my, my message for teaching for this morning, it actually ended up being like three sermons, three messages. That's a little too much. So, so I've, I've condensed it down. So we're going we're gonna to hit just the main message that I feel God wants us to hear this morning. Uh, the main thing that God wants us to, to understand. And then uh, following up, I'm going to be going a little bit deeper, kind of getting into some deeper wires. And I'm going to maybe do a series called Tie It Together. I'm going to be tying some of those weird passages in the Old Testament. And you have no idea why that's there and what it means with the things that are happening with Jesus and in the New Testament and even in our own lives and how they tie together. I mean, you think that would be a little cool to see, kind of hopefully make the Bible make some sense. So we'll touch a little bit on that. So this, just to give you a little nutshell, so we got a three-sermon kind of abridged and, and condensed version here. But in Matthew chapter 3, just to give you a nutshell, we, we see this is Jesus' baptism. This kind of sets the stage for what we're going to be talking about this morning. So we have a number of people here today that are where we're talking about taking a journey following Christ, and there, there are steps that we take in our journey in following Christ. But the main message I want us to get this morning is too often times in this journey, we take steps, and we take those steps, and we're like, yay me, I took those steps. And we think we've arrived. We have not arrived. What we are celebrating this morning, Pentecost is big and as fantastic as it was. 3,000 people in one day, as we'll read, came to know Christ and were baptized. The same thing we're doing today is what happened over 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost, the birth of the body of Christ. Matthew chapter 3, you can read it on your own, but it's a nutshell, so there's we have John the Baptist. He was a cousin of Jesus. He's kind of a crazy guy. People thought he was crazy. He was out in the wilderness. He spent his time praying and fasting, and he just kind of lived off the land. He ate locusts, you know, those things that look like giant grasshoppers. They have a lot of those. Great, nutritious protein source. But he would eat those and wild honey. And, and he didn't have the, the best of clothes, just whatever. Uh, he had an outfit made of camel hair. They just wove camel hair, so it was kind of a rough woolly outfit that was made to last and nothing fantastic and just a leather belt. He ate locusts and so he was kind of this, this hermit-like person who was out in the desert and people were going and they were listening and, and it was prophesied that this would happen, that he would be out there and he would be preparing the way for Jesus to come along. And while he's out one day and he's, he's baptizing a bunch of religious leaders and people kept gathering and and he starts calling them out on, what are you, why are you here? Why are you here? Because people were coming to John to confess their sins, to confess their need for God's forgiveness, to confess how far removed from God they were, and their desire to be brought back to God. This baptism of repentance, as it was called. And so he says, why are you even here? Why are you even saying, why are you even listening to my words about repentance? Because nothing in your life has been repentance. Because he knew their hearts, that deep within their hearts, they looked squeaky clean on the outside, but deep within, they did not desire to be with God. 
So he's, as he's preaching, and then they ask, are, are, you, are you the Messiah? Are you the Savior that we're looking for? And he says, no, it's not me, but there's, there's one who is greater than I am. I'm not even worthy to hold his sandals. And Jesus comes in, and, and Jesus is, he baptized Jesus in the water, and he didn't want to. And Jesus says, no, we have to do this. This is part of God's plan. i got to set this example. This is part of, of me committing myself to the will of the Father. And, and as that happens, we see the, they kind of see, I don't know what it would have looked like. It would have been pretty cool. I imagine it would have been like a space-time portal, be like sci-fi, and like, and all of a sudden, this, what looked like a dove comes out and rests upon Jesus. And we hear this voice from heaven saying, this is my son, I am well pleased. And so we see the Holy Spirit, as Scripture tells us, descends upon Jesus. And just a kind of a cool note, um, we see in the Old Testament the presence of God leaving the temple. Ezekiel has this vision of, of this chariot of wings of cherubim leaving, and God's presence leaves. And there's that time between the prophets and Jesus came that God's people were like, where is God? And we see in the Old Testament you have Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi, those, those guys in the, towards the end of your Old Testament, and they recognized, even though this new temple was built, and they were looking for this new temple, this place where God would dwell to be built, but they were looking for an earthly one. It was built, but the prophets recognized that the presence of God was not there. That the presence of God was not in this physical building, and they were still waiting for the promise that God gave them, that he would never leave them, that he would never forsake them. And then we see the Holy Spirit return. We see God's presence return in Christ. Jesus is now that temple. He is that place where the very presence of God, again, dwells within humanity. So that's three sermons kind of condensed into one that get you caught up. So as we know, Jesus, he lives his life. He teaches us. And he had a purpose and a destination on his journey and that was the cross. His destination in his journey was to give up everything for us. And he took that journey. And we know, as we said, and God raised him to life that third day. And, and Jesus had even said before that, he said, this temple, destroy it in three days, it will come back. That's bigger than Babe Ruth calling his, his home run shot over the fence. How cool is that? I would have loved to have been there when they finally realized what Jesus had done. Be like, oh, snap, he called it. So as we get to the end of, of, of the Gospels, Jesus raises from the dead. He spends time with his disciples. And he says, okay, here's the deal. I've got to go away for a little bit. But as I promised, I'm not going to leave you alone. So when I, when I leave here, I'm going to send my spirit. And we know back when, when John baptized him, John said, there's one greater than I who's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that fire represented judgment. Only Jesus has that, that right to judge it. It is Christ alone who will separate who is and who isn't a part of God's kingdom. And so he said, I'm going to go away and I'm going to send my spirit and my spirit is going to rest upon you. And it's going to empower you. And so what we see happening is now, the, he's telling them, look, I'm going to go away, 
this temple is going away, and you together are going to be the new temple, the new place where the presence of God dwells. That's a big thing. And they didn't quite realize what was going to happen yet. And so, as we see in, towards the end of Luke, in the, in the beginning of Acts in chapter 1, we see that, that they, Jesus says, okay, I'm going away. He says, wait until this happens. Don't try to do what I've called you to do. And his commission was, his, his words were, go out and make disciples. Here, there, and everywhere. Jerusalem, Judea, to the ends of the earth. So what he's saying is, here there, and everywhere. Take my message. But just as Jesus didn't begin his ministry until the presence of the Holy Spirit was upon him, the same thing. The church was not to begin to go out and do what God had called them to do until the presence of God was upon them. Because it's not the work that we do. It's the work, it's God doing the restoration. It's God doing the work. We are these, as Paul says, we are these jars of clay, these these vessels that are so fragile, yet God does such incredible, amazing things through. And so they do what every miracle requires. They took that first step, and that first step was obedience. He said, go, wait, pray, be together. And so they gathered together in Jerusalem. It was, it was a feast time it was called... Um, a harvest feast, and they were together. And it was the uh, day of Pentecost. And so let's look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 13. So there's over 120 of them, men, women, all gathered together. And at then their, their gathering place, they had their rooms, and they had a big flat roof generally, and that's where they hung out. It was a little cooler. And so they're up there, they're praying. The streets are full of people who've been traveling from all over the Roman Empire that are, are Jewish descent to come and, and gather and celebrate this holiday in Jerusalem. Verse 1, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit, and began speaking in other languages, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. So you've got these Jews from all over the Roman Empire, so some of them probably spoke Assyrian, and others uh, spoke different languages. Actually, it shows right here below. And all of a sudden, they hear... This group of people that they can tell are not educated to the extent they are, that are not, they don't look the same, they don't dress the same, speaking their own heart languages that they grew up speaking. That gets your attention. Verse 9, here we are. How is this possible? We are Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, that's in Turkey, by the way, I've been there, it's cool, Pontus and province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. 
And we all hear these people speaking in our own language about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But you always got the scoffers. You always got the haters in the crowd. And the haters in the crowd said, and they ridiculed him saying, they're just drunk, that's all. I'm going to paraphrase the next bit, and I encourage you to read the 14 through 37 on your own. But Peter gets up. I love Peter's response. Peter must have been from Wisconsin. Peter said, we can't be drunk. It's not 9 a.m. yet. It's not even 9 a.m. And then, empowered anew by the Holy Spirit, Peter preaches the gospel tells exactly what Jesus did, exactly the plan that God had in place. And he he stands up and he preaches that message, and it goes out. I don't know what 3,000 people would look like, but I imagine it would have been a little interesting. I'm sure he's belting out his best voice, and I'm sure there would have been like, what did he say? And people passing it on, but that's a miracle in and of itself. But as a result, we read in verse 38, So he shares this message, he shares this good news, and people are like, and the Holy Spirit's working and speaking to them. And they're like, we know this is true. I can imagine many of them, as they were walking through those streets, going through their religious motions, they're like, there's got to be more. Where is this promise that we are looking for? Where is this promise? God said he would never abandon us. Where is he? And God showed that he was right there. And so they hear it and they're like, great, God is here. He has done this for us. His presence is right there. All through the Old Testament, God's presence was often manifest in in wind or or fire. And we see both of those. And so they would have recognized, like, this was a God thing. The very presence of God has descended here in this place. This is a prophet of God speaking to us. This is true. Now what? What do we do? How many of you ask God that often? What should I do, God? So we've talked in in messages past that that good news is worthless without a response to it. It doesn't do any good to hear you've won the lottery and you don't go cash it in. It doesn't do any good for someone to discover they are heir to a throne, but they never actually go sit on that throne and take their kingdom. And so these people, they hear this good news and they're like, what's the response? What should we do? How should we respond to this? The crowd replies, verse 38. Peter responds to this. He says, each of you Now, I love this. There's a group of 3,000 people. And we see that God's building one body and we are one. But he calls on an individual basis. He says, each one of you. Your parents can't do this for you. Your children can't do this for you. Your husband can't do it for you. Your wife can't do do this for you. You have to choose for yourself. Each of you must 
repent of your sins and turn to God. That word repent basically means to change direction. So we're on this course, we're, on a, often we're born into a life journey, and that life journey we quickly, of our own will, we walk in the opposite direction of God. Right? Our parents right away are like, hey, come here, that's hot, you're going to burn yourself. We're like, hey, we run and we touch it. We are born going in the wrong direction. And so what he's saying is he's saying, stop going in the wrong direction, repent. It doesn't do any good to hear this good news and keep going in the opposite direction of this good news. He said, turn, turn and go to God. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Because God has forgiven us and He's saying, go and be baptized, be cleansed. Take that choice and receive, accept, choose what Christ has given us. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that promised gift. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. Jesus said, I will send another. It will be your helper. Receive it. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift we have. See, we get focused on trying to escape hell. Jesus did not come to just save us from going to hell. He came so that we could receive the very presence of God and be restored to what was broken. That gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you to your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. I'm not going to do that this morning. Strongly urging all his listeners. And this kind of struck me. He wrote, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Save yourselves. Again, there's this personal plea and call. Jesus saves us. He's the one who redeems us and cleanses us. But I get this image of Peter's standing on this, imagine that building, it's like this ship here, and he's standing there, and we have the body of Christ is up there, and he's saying, come join us. And everyone down in there, they've, they're, they're still in the waters of chaos. They're still in the waters of despair and the brokenness of this world. And he's saying, I've just explained, I've just thrown this life preserver to you. Now take hold of it. Because it does not do any good to look at that life preserver and not take hold of it. Peter is saying to them, save yourselves. Take hold. Yes, Jesus saves, but we have to take hold of what he has given us. No one else can take hold of it for us. No one else can will us to take hold of it. We have to choose for ourselves, all the way back in the Old Testament, choose this day who you will serve. And Joshua responded, baby, me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord.
verse 41. Actually, I'm just going to stop there. Joshua said, me and my house. Parents, you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility to make sure your children know what Christ has done for them. You have a responsibility to model what it looks like to take hold of that life preserver. You've got to to model what it means to take hold of what Christ has done for us. Because there's a lot of parents that are floating in the water saying, I don't want my kids to miss out. Take hold of the life preserver, kids. And they're there drowning. Children will follow you to the depths of despair. Take hold of the life preserver that Christ has given you. And put it in front of them every morning. Put it in front of them in the middle of the day. Put it in front of them at night. And those who believed what Peter said were baptized. And added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. How do we respond to this message? How do we respond to the, the message of, of Christ? And we see it laid out here. Oftentimes people say, I, I know Jesus, I believe in him, but now what? What do I do? This is the now what. This is how we take those steps to begin this journey. And, and for some of us, and some being baptized here today, they, they'll share, they got off course, they got off the track, and they're, they're taking steps to get back on track. They let go of that life preserver and they're taking back hold and they're saying, I'm not letting go this time. Peter says, repent. Change direction. Turn to God. Follow Jesus' examples and his teaching. Step one. Step one is Jesus. Take hold of him. Do what Jesus says. We should make t-shirts. Let's just say that. It says, do what Jesus says, period. It will save us so much trouble. Now, the reality is, even mature believers, we don't like that all the time. Because Jesus said some things that really challenge us. It's a journey, step by step. The second step. So we turn from God. So we step one, we say, I need God. That's step one. I need God. I'm going the wrong direction. I need God. I'm now facing that direction. Jesus, you died on the cross. I believe you, God. I, I'm yours. That's step one. It's that simple. Jesus didn't say, when you know everything, when you have perfect doctrine or theology. No. He said, whoever calls upon me, whoever believes in me, they shall be So that's step one. Step two, we see here, Peter lays it out. Jesus, this was so important that Jesus himself modeled this, of this baptism, of this this surrender, wanted to be baptized. The step of obedience to Jesus and, and following of his example is a public confession of one's need to be forgiven. 
to be cleansed and renewed to a new life in and through Jesus. Baptism is also a symbol of being reborn into the family of God as a member of the body of Christ, the church. That was the initiation of those 3,000 joining that 120. We're stepping, we're, we're going into the waters, we are dying to self, leaving our old self in the grave, erasing, washed by the blood of Christ anew into the new life of Christ. Leaving the loneliness and the abandonment of the world, rising to the family and the inheritance we have as children of God. The third is receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God dwelling within us. Receiving the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to boldly share who Jesus is and what he has done and is doing for and through us. And there, as we will talk later, and Paul talks about the spiritual giftings. God empowers us and calls us and gives us giftings to do the work that he is calling us to do here and now. When the prophet Joel said, your, your men and women and your old and your young, they will dream dreams and they will prophesy and they will speak the words that God is, is wanting to speak into humanity. That is the empowerment. Those are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. When he said, you'll speak in tongues that you do not understand. And as Paul said, though I speak in the tongues of, of angels and men, these are gifts from God that strengthen us, that, that God uses to bring us together in unity, to, to be a witness to the world around us of God's presence and His power in our lives. But these are just beginning steps. Say with me, beginning steps. Baptism is not just about salvation. Baptism about being reborn and living a new life. There's a lot of people that, that say, oh, I got baptized. I got shot with a super soaker. Whatever. I'm good. No, no, you're not. Because you're walking in the wrong direction from God. We are baptized to walk in the right direction with God. Baptism is not just about new life. It is about death. Before we can be raised to a new life in Christ, we must be willing to allow the old life to be put to death. Baptism does not equal salvation. There's nothing magical about baptismal water. Water can't wash away our sins and the shame of our actions. That was done by Jesus' blood the sacrifice and love that was poured out on the cross for us. Baptism is just a beginning step. Receiving Jesus' promised gift of the Holy Spirit and the empowerment and giftings of the Holy Spirit is just another beginning step. A life committed to Jesus is a lifelong journey. A journey that does not stop when our hearts stop beating and our lungs take their last breath or our brains their last electrical pulses. Following Jesus is a journey that continues into eternity beyond the constraints, limitations, and brokenness of our current place in space and time. 
It is because this journey is not about getting closer to God and farther from the world. This journey is about dwelling more fully with and in Christ. See, this journey is not, we're not walking closer to God. He's already with us. It's walking with God. Walking in step in obedience with Him. See, when we walk in obedience, it's not like God's saying, I'm over here playing hide-and-go-seek. If you do this and you do that, oh, then you'll be closer to me. No, what He's saying is, this is the step I'm taking. Take it with me. This is the step I've already taken and I took for you. Take it with me. So I want to invite you this morning... If you've not taken that first step, I invite us this morning to take that first step and repent. Turn to Jesus. Say, I need you. I need it. I need God. And there's those of us here this morning Maybe you've taken that first step. And if you want to take the second step, we've got extra towels. But take that step of baptism. Take that step of obedience. Go all in. I guess metaphorically and physically too. All in the water. Join the family of God. Take that third step. Be open and receive all that the Holy Spirit desires to give you. See, that, that fire, that, that presence of God that, that came down on that 120, that is here for all of us. And a lot of people struggle and they don't live out and they wonder, why am I not living out the life that God's called me to live? I can imagine if, if the, the, the disciples, if they had not chose to be obedient to wait and receive what God had for them, they would have been out doing it and been wondering, why is this not working? What is missing? And there's a lot of believers that we, 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 we accept Jesus, we're like, yay, and we take that baptism, we're like, yay, I, I've made it. No, there's another step. Receive and be open. Be open. It, it, it's, it's God's work, it's not ours. Take the pressure off. Just say, God, I'm here. Everything you've got for me, give it. I'll take it. Lord, if you want me to have dreams and visions, I'll take it. Lord, if you want me to hear your voice and, and, and know what to say to someone, whether it's at Walmart or in church, God, I'll do it. God, if you want me to have funny words coming out of my mouth and I don't know what it means, but it's glorifying you, then God, I'll take it. God, if you want me to, to step out and I just know, and I know that you want me to pray for someone and, and believe that they're going to be healed, God, I'll do it. God, if you want me to share who you are with somebody, God, I'll do it. I would encourage every single one of us here, wherever you are, take that next step. 